Welcome to Striving for Revival with Justin Cooper, Assistant Pastor at North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. This broadcast will challenge and encourage God's people to seek revival. We pray you'll be blessed as you listen to Striving for Revival. Welcome to the Striving for Revival radio broadcast. This is Pastor Justin Cooper coming to today from the KNVBC studio at the North Valley Baptist Church here in Santa Clara. California. My, what a privilege it is to have you join me for the broadcast today, and what an honor is mine to take the King James Bible and to share with you some eternal truth from the very Word of God. We've been studying together in the book of Romans, and we are transitioning from chapter 2 now into chapter number 3. And we did 20 Bible studies or so through Romans 1 and then Romans chapter number 2. And if you've missed any of those, you can go subscribe to the podcast wherever you find your podcast. Go and search for Striving for Revival there. Hit subscribe. That will give you access to every uh, archived study that we have done. We've done many book studies already, and right now we're in Romans and all of those that maybe you've missed, you can go and listen and re-listen to those via the podcast. Romans chapter 1 deals with the sins of the Gentile. In fact, it shows us the digression, the downfall, the, the, uh, the uh, de-evolution of Gentile society. Man does not start low and go up without God. Man starts high and goes down without God. Down, down, down like Jonah when he went to Nineveh. Chapter 2 deals with the sins of the Jew or the religious crowd. He deals with the reprobate sin in verse or chapter 1 and the religious sin in chapter number 2. We find a picture of the prodigal son in chapter 1 and a picture of the elder brother of Luke 15's parable there in chapter number 2. Now, chapter number 2 is Paul's argument against the Jew. In chapter 3, we find Paul's apologetics. Paul's apologetics. He begins to speak to these Jewish people about their advantage in their relationship and in their religion, and he reveals to them that being religious does not equal being righteous in verse 1 through verse number 8. Now, I've enjoyed these studies, and uh, they're helping me, and I hope they'll help you. Romans is our foundational book for the New Testament theology. If you want to know Bible doctrine, Doctrine. First, you start with the book of Romans. And if you can get a good grip on Romans, get your foundation laid in this book, then it will help you understand the remainder of your uh, New Testament and the doctrine for the church age. Let's look here in verse number one. What advantage then, here's a rhetorical question, <clears throat> what advantage then hath the Jew? Or what profit is there of circumcision? So he's saying, what's your advantage in your relationship and what's the advantage in your religion? Now, he answers that in verse 2, much every way. The Jew had every single advantage over the Gentile. They were uh, they were uh, looking down on the Gentiles. They were uh, snarling, uh, snapping, casting judgment, I mean, calling out the sin of the Gentile. But Paul is reminding them, wait a minute, you've had every leg up. You've had that spiritual silver spoon placed in your mouth. I mean, you have had every opportunity to do a work for God, to know God, to walk for God, to live for God, to be holy before God. You've had the Word of God given to you. We'll see that here in just a minute. You've gotten every advantage, much every way. You name it, you've got it, chiefly because that unto them were committed 
the oracles of God. So they have an advantage by their birth. They were born ethnically into that nation that God loves, the apple of his eye, the nation of Israel. But also they have God's book. They have the word of God. They had the Pentateuch. They had uh, the Old Testament. They had the Psalms and Proverbs, the books of the Kings and Chronicles and Judges, all of the Old Testament, Genesis, all of that they had. And they had it uh, from the beginning. And the Jews had much every way an advantage over the Gentiles, their nationality, the word of God. God, they had greater light. But here's what Paul is saying. Because of your greater light, you have a greater responsibility to obey that light. The Gentile walks largely in darkness. Now, his conscience t- tells him and preaches to him every day, there's a creator. When he looks around at the world, uh, the creation itself bears witness there's a God. But you don't have to go off of creation. You have the canon of the Old Testament, the scripture, and you have greater light with greater responsibility. Verse 3 said, for what if some What if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? He's saying, now I understand that the Jew has every advantage and the Jew has uh, every opportunity to be uh, pleasing unto God. He said, but not every Jew is. Not every Jew does. Not every Jew is walking in accordance to the truth. He said, but does that make the faith of God of none effect? Does that mean the word of God is not true? Does that mean that the uh, prophecies are lies? Does that mean that God does not have power, that the Holy Spirit does not move, that uh, that what you've been taught and what you've been told in the tradition, does that mean all of that should be thrown out? No. Just because there's a crowd that does not submit, does not follow, does not believe, it does not negate, nullify, nor does it uh, give cause to discard the entirety, the body of the truth that's been revealed unto you man's failure to believe a God does not mean God has failed. I'll say it again. Man's failure to believe or obey God does not mean that God has failed. So uh, some don't believe. Well, the Jewish might uh, uh, object to uh, what Paul is preaching, saying, well, if God, if that was true, why don't all these Jews believe? Not Israel believe, but that doesn't mean that God's not right, that God's not on his throne. Man's unbelief does not nullify God's person. Just because man does not believe in God, it does not uh, make God uh, non-existent. Man can deny God, but he cannot erase God. Man doesn't have to acknowledge God, but God is. Whether man wants to submit to God or not, he's still on the throne. Whether man wants to pray to God or not, he's still in heaven waiting to hear and answer prayer. He does not nullify God's person. There's not going to be a critic, a skeptic, an atheist, an agnostic, a God denier that can uh, annihilate God. He's ever living. He's the Alpha and the Omega, eternally God, everlasting God. He's from the beginning. He'll be in the end. He's right now, omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent all of those things and more that's who God is and no matter what you think about God it does not change God's existence or the reality of God your truth does not negate the truth the same in right there all the woke crowd just ran to their uh, security blanket and their safe space uh, so man's unbelief does not nullify God's person next it does not nullify God's promises Just because there might be some in the nation of Israel that did not believe in God or follow God or have faith in God, it did not negate or nullify God's promises to his people. God is still going to fulfill his promises. He's going to fulfill uh, every promise that he's made. He'll fulfill it. Call unto me and I'll answer thee and show thee great and mighty things. You might not believe in prayer, but I do. And your unbelief isn't going to rob me of my prayer promise. Uh, If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. You might not believe we can have revival, but I do. And your unbelief in revival won't negate or rob from me my promise of revival. 
Uh, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, you might not believe everybody can be saved. You might be one of them crazy Calvinists. You might be one of them kooky Calvinists. You might have got a bad book instead of reading the good book, and it monkeyed with you and messed with your mind, and now you believe God died for a few instead of the world, which it plainly says in the Bible. Well, just because you believe only a year four no more can get saved, that ain't going to rob from me the promise of the Scripture that the Lord is long-suffering, not one that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I believe everyone can get born again. All right, so he's saying your unbelief, your failure to believe God does not mean God failed. It doesn't nullify his person. It doesn't nullify his promises. Next, it doesn't nullify his plan. It does not knock God off the track. It didn't derail him. It didn't cause him to get plan B put in place from before the foundations of the world. God has already had his perfect will laid out. God knows exactly what he's doing. In that respect, God is sovereign. God has it all mapped out. God's will will be accomplished. Amen. Whether you believe it or not, God's going to win. Whether you believe it or not, God's going to establish his throne in Jerusalem. Whether you believe it or not, the rapture's going to happen. Whether you believe it or not, Armageddon's going to happen. Whether you believe it or not, Calvary happened. Whether you believe it or not, the resurrection happened. And man's disbelief or man's failure to believe God does not mean God has failed. All right? Verse number four, God forbid. Yea, let God be true and every man a liar. As it is written that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings and mightest overcome when thou art judged. Self-righteousness does not justify what you think or how you feel or what your truth is or your prerogative or whatever it might be. That will never make you right with God. It does not justify spirituality, the Holy Spirit, you're standing in Christ, his imputed righteousness. That's the only way to be right or justified in the eyes of God. But if our righteousness commend the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? I speak as a man. Man's unrighteousness simply magnifies God's righteousness. But listen, man's unrighteousness does not please God. God does not need you and I to help magnify his righteousness by being unrighteous. Amen. Romans 6 and verse number 1 says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? In Romans chapter number 3, Paul is dealing with these Jewish people. He's making an indictment against the sinful human, uh, the, sin, the sinfulness of the human race. And we just dealt with verse 1 through verse number 6. Join us next broadcast as we look down at verse number 7. Study ahead if you'd like. And until then, pray for revival. Thank you for joining us today for Striving for Revival with Justin Cooper, Assistant Pastor at North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. Listen at this time every weekday as we strive for revival.